Seven years about, um, you know, Jesus' humility and yeah. um, being Jesus humbling himself, yeah, to be like us to come down mm -hmm. to us then, <clears throat> and then, like, I guess Paul was trying to tell us to have that kind of mindset, um, yeah. Jesus. So, exactly, sorry, what was your question? So, the question, let me read it again. Um, for let's start from the from Paul's experience, the question is. These are the things that Paul had confidence in that he had to let go. And okay, then um, okay. what would these things mean in our present day and time? Okay, for I think it, it's found in Philippians 6, um, 3 6, where he was okay. saying concerning Bill persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness. Although, to be very honest, I don't really understand what he was like, what he was saying, because mm -hmm. um, what he said he placed his confidence on were actually good things in a way like it to me or i don't know but yeah, to yeah, me yeah. like thing concerning zeal so I, I would i would like to ask a question on that regard but i guess he was trying to say that he was more confident in his flesh like even when he was saying he was asking the other people like if you think that you have confidence in your flesh don't worry i'm 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 far ahead of you in that in that regard yeah so was he had confidence in in righteousness in i think his his uh, ability in to doing the things that are of God. He he had co um, confidence in zeal. I don't know if the zeal is the zeal of uh, for pursuing the things of God. I don't I don't know, sir. But to me, that's a good thing. I don't I, I don't know. Yeah. But either way, um. So yeah, and he was like that. No, we should be more focused on um. What do you say? Be found in having. Uh, on knowing Jesus Christ, I guess that's you know that we should just lose everything because none of it is gain, except we know know Jesus Christ. So I guess that's why I, I learned. So um, in present day and age is still the same thing. I think about you know, I guess the righteousness part makes sense to me because I I have so much confidence in me trying to do the right thing all the time rather than actually you know surrendering to God and letting God have His way. So I guess I don't know. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, okay. That's awesome. Awesome. Let me, let's, um, okay. No, let someone else share. So, um, Tommy, are you still there? Can you share with us, share your own, um, gleanings from Philippians 2? So for that one, we asked, um, what are the things I just had for fit? And then what was the resultant effect for, for him? And then in what, in what ways, do we face, sorry, in what ways are we daily faced here with opportunities to do the same as Jesus Christ did? Yep. Again, okay, so I didn't do my <laughs> reading. I was just reading Philippians 3. If this, and oh, everyone else has answered. Um, I can read it out real quick and then just deduce what I... Oh, okay, okay, so, okay, okay, no, that's fine. So if you read Philippians 3, talk to us from Philippians 3 okay, as well. First one. Yes, okay. Um. So... Back to Philippians three. So from verse four, um, we're saying that for him, like he was talking about generally that you know Christians who worship God by the Spirit of God pride ourselves in Christ and not in other things. And then for him, he was now saying, if um, if anybody else considers that even he has more reason to have done those things, where he could have his physical and outward advantages. So those are the three that I, so it's the flesh, his physical advantages on our world. I think verse three explains what 
um, oh no, yeah, it was, uh, I'm reading Amplified Classic. Okay. And it says our work privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. I think that was um, the things that I got from A. Uh, okay, so let me get physical advantages and what again? The physical and outward advantages, his flesh. Oh, uh, actually, and I guess physical and outward advantages would be considered one. As you said, I still have more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing his, his um, verse five, if I could summarize verse five. Sorry, I, read, I literally read it, what the quote was going on. So my thoughts are not very concise. Um, the concise when I was eight. Yeah, so I think in his heritage or who he was as, um, mm-hmm. yeah, son of a Hebrew, as a Hebrew, basically. So yeah, his okay. identity, his flesh, and physical outward advantage, maybe. Okay, okay. All right, cool. Um, so I, I guess we'll start from, let's start from this Philippians 3 that we'll, we'll all discuss. Um, hold on, let me make sure I open the right part of my Yes, okay, there we go. All right, so Paul, Paul was explaining that, um, just like you guys have said, was explaining that... Um, he had, he also basically telling the Philippians that he had enough reasons to boast, right? And when he says, he has, um, in verse 3, that, no, verse, yeah, verse 3 says, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit and, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, meaning that we who are the spiritual circumcision now, we no longer, we no longer have any reason to be confident in the flesh. The flesh here meaning, um, any, any achievement that is tied to our, about human experience. So we don't have any reason to, to, have, to boast about it. Any achievement that is tied to our human existence, to our human experience, there's no reason to boast in it anymore because when we come to Christ, that fades away. And then Paul began to tell them that just in case they think that he's saying this because he doesn't have any reasons to boast, let him give them his own credential, which he began to do. It's almost like saying, let, let's say, for instance, if somebody comes and says, Saying guys, money is nothing. Oh, don't 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 flaunt money. And then someone in the audience now says, ah, look at you, just because you don't have money, that's why you're talking. Then the guy now says, Well, let me give you my history. My father owns four oil wells in Nigeria. My mother was the first senator. My my uncle is a president, and my my auntie works in the United Nations. And then he risks give all these credentials so that you know that the point he's raising wasn't an abstract point, it was a point that came from, that stemmed from experience, right? And then so he began to explain, he said circumcised on the, on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. So this verse, um, verse five, outlines his identity. So Paul was basically saying that if it's based on identity, I have reasons to boast, you know, um, based on my human identity. Imagine if I'm the son of the president, for instance. I, I have enough reason, reason to boast that my dad is the president. Um, I'm from the royal. I'm from the... Sorry, guys, you can't see my video right now. It's because a call just came in. Um, so please, just listen to me, right? Um, but can you guys hear me, please? Just let me be sure you can hear me. If you can hear me, thumbs up or just say something. Okay, good. Thanks. So Paul was saying that um, he, 
he um, had enough reason to boast, right? And based on his identity, he was giving he was giving the, his 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 selling points based on his identity, meaning that as humans also and for us as well, there are several reasons why we could boast, and it's very um it's very tempting when it comes when we have a, we have a, a a history right to boast on. So imagine if you you belong to let me think of a family now you belong to one of the rich and wealthy families right in the country you could that could be a reason for you to place your boast in and remember Paul says we have no confidence in these things anymore meaning at some point he had confidence in the fact that he was a Jew he had confidence in the fact that he was he was he was born of um, what do you say again um, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin he was a real Hebrew he had such confidence especially in an in an era where there was, I guess, quite some migration, and then people could not really trace who they were. So those who were who were pure breed had enough reason to boast. And what Paul, what, what that means for us is that we we must learn to not put our confidence in our human identity. Meaning, I come from a rich family, or my my father is a president, or is a minister, or is a governor, or he's is a wealthy man. You know the the self-confidence that comes based on the, the people we identify ourselves with. And if I could be your friend, your friend owns a bank, and so that's why you're confident that last, last, if I need money, I'll just give him a call. And so Paul was saying, based on identity, we have, we have, we no longer put our confidence in that. All right? Then verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, he says, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Um, meaning that even if you decide to put my, put my identity aside and you focus on my own works, the things I have done myself, let's assume I come from a very poor background, nobody knows me, right? Um, the things I have done myself, I, I started a company, I have run, um, uh, let's say I have run two massive campaigns, I have built this, I have built that, and that could be the basis of my confidence. So I'm confident in my ability, I'm confident in the, thing, confident in the things that I have done. And that's what Paul was talking about in verse 6. So verse 5 focused on his identity. Verse 6 focused on his ability. And it is very important that as Christians, we learn not to put our confidence in our ability nor in our identity. Meaning that the fact you, the, the fact that you are a, um, let's say the fact that you're a studious person, right, doesn't mean you rely on your, on, on that ability. You need to know that as, as a Christian, regardless of your ability, you must still rely on Christ, using your ability as, a, as an expression to serve, to serve Christ. All right? So the Pope basically talked about his identity and, and his, um, his, um, his ability. To answer um, Doris' question, let me just chip this in. So Doris, you're right. When, when, you talked about, um, when you talked about zeal and righteousness, in itself, they sound like good things, right? But in this context that Paul was explaining to us, they are not... They aren't right because um, Paul was talking about his zeal. And when we trace, when we go to the book of Acts and read, the zeal he was talking about was the zeal he, he expressed in persecuting the church. And so as regarding that zeal, he was, he was a really zealous person. In fact, he single-handedly went to the Pharisees and obtained permission to persecute both men and women, anybody that belonged to Christ, persecute and kill them. Um, and so that's, what he, that's, that's the zeal he demonstrated. And the zeal was in a righteousness that, that was his own. Now, to the best of his knowledge then, he thought he was doing the right thing. Um, he thought he was on the right path, persecuting those that, that were claimed to be following one Jesus Christ, 
that we don't we don't know who he, who he is and where he came from. So to him, he thought he was right, and he was zealous about his his wrong path. And then secondly, concerning his right um, righteousness, the Bible says, "As touching righteousness, which is of the law, um, blameless." Meaning, the, and you need to mark this. He says, "Righteousness which is of the law." not the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness which is of the law, he was blameless. And the righteousness of the law basically says, I am I am righteous because of the things I do, not because of what Christ does, but because I today I did not lie. I did not insult anybody. So today I'm righteous. Today I was able to pray by 5 a.m. and I pray by 6 p.m. That means I'm righteous. Um, um, today I was able to give today. I saw a beggar on the road. I gave to him. I'm righteous. I was praying loud so that my neighbor could hear me. I'm righteous. So that's the righteousness of the law. The righteousness that says you are righteous because of your own works, and that is absolutely not true. So concerning that one, he in his in his boasting, he said, I was blameless. But when he now came to meet Christ, he found out that all of that counted for nothing. And that's what verse 7 says. He says, But what things were, were gained to me, those I counted for, for loss for Christ. All right. Um, so yeah, that's from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 2. I'm just going to go over this quickly because. We still have a lot. <laughs> we have a lot to cover today. I'm just looking at the time. All right. Um, Philippians chapter 2. So let me summarize. Paul was talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, let's have the same mindset. Let's have the same perspective. Um, he says that, that, verse 6, that who being in the form of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal, equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I'm reading Philippians chapter 2. I'm in verse... I'm in verse 7 right now. It says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant and was made in the likeness of a man. So Jesus Christ, um, even though he was God, he 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 decided that it wasn't a big deal to leave that glorified um, and glorious um, status, right? And then to humble himself. And then he took the, the fashion of a man. So he became like, like you and I. He took our humanity. And verse, um, verse 8 says, And being obedient in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, right? So he became obedient. So the next thing was that he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And not just any kind. If I know there's, there's kind of death that is dignified. But Jesus' own was, was, the, was the lowest of all forms of, of killing, was the most humiliating of all. That's death on the cross. And then he says, because of that, as a result of this actions, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should come, every, um, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And then he goes on to say that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. The point and emphasis in this scripture is the fact that um, is the fact that Jesus, Jesus, though he had an, a, he, though he had a glorious, glorious, um, glorious position, he left that position, position, humbled himself. Number one was obedient, and then as a result of that, something happened. So what this means to us now is that there are several times when God, you know, last week we talked about things that. How that God will let you leave some things and let you ask you to to separate yourself from certain things. Sorry. Um, how you ask you to separate yourself from certain things so that um, he can continue his work. Sorry, they are giving us warning. Okay. Okay. 
sorry, let's stay on 10 minutes. Um, by the way, please let me say again, in 10 minutes, this Zoom will kick us out. So kindly just re rejoin um, immediately. In 10 seconds, we should be back up. Um, all right. So just because just Paul was basically explaining, using Jesus' example, that um, as humans, there are several times where God will have to ask us to do things that are, quote-unquote, beneath our, our, our perceived standards. And when he asks us to do that, it is God expects us to obey, right? Because in so doing, we are, first of all, obedience to God is, is, the, is the greatest proof of love. But secondly, we see what happens to Jesus in verse 9. He says, um, um, verse 9, Wherefore God has, also, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Meaning that the, the point, the instances where God requires us to humble ourselves is because he actually intends to, to exalt us. And that's what verse 9 says. He says, wherefore, meaning as a result of this, God has highly exalted Jesus. And you know, there are times when, I, I, I asked us to read the scripture so I could see that many times when God will ask us to do certain things, they will seem beneath our standards. They will seem beneath our, beneath what we think we are, we are qualified for. Um, sometimes God will ask us to leave a probably high-paying job to go to some job that doesn't pay as much, or God will ask us to go and minister to some people in some um, in some place that I mean we wouldn't want to naturally associate ourselves with. And I remember uh, twenty, I think twenty eighteen. Um, funny enough, I had not so I was still dating my wife then, uh, but we used to go on evangelism every. We used to go on evangelism every. Hey, what day was this now? I think every Thursday. I forgot to ask her. But I think every Thursday, anyways. So we'll go on evangelism and um we will so we, there was a part, if you know Lagos very well, or Balinding under the bridge. It's it's just a slum. That's where you see guys that smoke, that's where you see the bus drivers, all the ag barrels and rough people. And we used to go there to minister a lot. And many times by the time we're coming out of there, where where our bodies were already smelling of of what they smoke, you know, and it was bad. But we saw I felt fulfilled, we felt fulfilled. When we did that, and so my point is that there are times when God will ask you to do things that are that that you may think I don't want to do this, or I I would rather go to somewhere else. You know, I'd rather go and preach in the King's Palace than go and preach in the manger, or go and preach in the slum. But at the at the crux of it is obedience. And whenever God asks us to to do things that requires us to humble ourselves, that's because He actually intends to exalt us. And in the kingdom, um, 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 glory comes by humility. Glory comes by by us humbling ourselves, all right? So I believe we, we, we get the point. Uh, so see, pl please go back, for those of us that haven't read it, please go back, read Philippians 2, and personally extract things for yourself. Let God show you revelation and, um, and expose things to your heart. Praise God. Okay, so we are going to move on to today's, to today's um, um, you know, discussion. But before I move on, let me just know if you guys can hear me. Um, you can just give a thumbs up or say something or drop a, a chat. Let me just be sure you can all hear me clearly. If I'm not loud enough, please let me know. If, if, if not, just let me know as well. Okay, Doris says thumbs up. Um, if I can you hear me, Cecil, welcome. Can you hear me? Uh oh, uh, Cecil, can you hear me? Um, if I hear you there, sorry, Cecilia, I did you say something? Yes, yes, I can hear you. 
Oh, uh, okay, okay, cool. That's fine. All right, so let, let's move on. Um, so last week, this pretty much continuation from last week, right? And as always, I will need you guys to please um, help us, help me read some scriptures. So last week, we looked at the fact that sanctification and how God wants us to be separate unto him and how that certain times he demands certain things from us. I want to start off by reading, I want to start off by us reading a passage in the book of Job. So Job chapter 22, Job chapter 22, verse 23 to 25. Um, okay, Cecil, can you read for us? Job chapter 22, verse 23 to 25. Yep, hi there. Cecil, are you there? Okay, please read for us. Um, can your voice be a bit louder? It's I'm not hearing clearly. Okay. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. All right. Um, Job twenty-two, Your voice is still low, though. Can it be high just a bit? Um, Job twenty-two. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Reading from the New Living Translation. Um, 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. You clean up your life. If you give up your loss for money and throw your precious gold into the river, the Almighty Himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Praise God. Okay, praise God. Okay, so I, I'm, I didn't hear quite clearly though, but um, what translation do you say we're reading from? New Living Translation, NLT. New Living Translation, okay, good. Okay, um, so this verse here, if you read it from the King James, it sounds, it says this, rather. If you return to the, to the Almighty, um, thou shalt be built up, thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Verse 24 now says, then shall, the, then, then shall thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophira as the stones of the brooks. Yeah, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. So the way the King James puts it, right, gives you the impression that um, when you turn to God, then God would, would make you rich. Right? Verse 24 says, thou shalt lay up gold as dust, and um, the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. So it sounds like, oh, God, when you, when you leave everything to follow God, then he's going to make you... He's going to make you um, wealthy and you have a lot of money. But when you read other translations, you find out that this is not exactly what it says. Um, that what it says is this, that when you leave, when you, when you, um, um, verse 23 says, put away iniquity from, from far away from your tabernacles, return to the Lord. And that says, then you lay up gold as dust. What that means is that you put, you, you, your gold, right? You consider it as dust. You consider it as nothing, just the same way dust is is insignificant to to everybody, right? That same way you consider your possessions, you consider your money, and this is doesn't just apply to money in, in that sense alone, but also applies to anything that you you prior to this moment used to treasure. So if you used to treasure watching football, for instance, the moment you come to Christ, you need to consider it as nothing. Um, when if you used to, if you treasure, uh, let's say going out or 
or watching movies or traveling or whatever it is, the moment you come to Christ, you submit that your most prized possession and you consider it as dust. All right. And then he says, um, verse 23, yeah, the almighty shall be thy defense and thou shalt have plenty, plenty of silver. I think the one of translations, maybe the amplified says that then the almighty will become your real silver and gold. That means God will now become your, your most prized possession. So what this means is if before I gave my life to Christ, for instance, I always loved playing football Saturday morning. That was like my, my, my hobby. Saturday morning, I never miss it. Then I come to Christ and then God begins to nudge in my heart and says, you are too addicted to playing this football. I want you to give me that time. That time you used to play football, use it to pray and to worship me instead. Then I, I now begin to do that. What, what, what that means is that, oh, I keep touching this. What that means is that God now becomes more valuable to me than my playing football. And this is exactly what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 3, where we, where we read, that um, I consider everything as loss compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing. So most times the blocks are rectangular in shape. So just imagine a bricklayer putting a rectangular block and then putting a triangular block on top and then putting a circular block. It will just look so messy. Um, so what the, the bricklayer does is that he... He builds the block in a particular shape so that the block can fit the building that he's, he's creating, he's erecting. Um, even in the days, I mean, before civilization came and all of that, when they, when they had to build the stones, right, what happened was that they, they had to shape each stone to fit a particular um, shape so that it could be used for the building project. Now, this is what I'm going to. As Christians, what God does is that what God does with our lives is that he shapes our lives to fit a particular mode so that we can, we can fit into the building he's, he's erecting as a whole body. Okay? Does that make sense? So what God does, is, like let me repeat that, is that he shapes our lives so that we can take the particular form that would, be, that would make, allow us to be useful for the building that he's erecting. Um, so let, to explain this further, let us look at... Um, where should we look at first? Let us look at Chronicles, right? The book of Chronicles. Um, the, 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 the second, sorry, first King, I better, not Chronicles, first King, first King chapter six, verse seven. I will read this time around. Um, first Kings chapter six. First Kings chapter six verse verse seven. Let me read. Um, I'll just give us a few seconds to be there. So before before I read here, this was the story of um, this is the story of um, how Solomon built the temple. So this Solomon had become king. He started the building project that his father wanted to do, but God did not allow him to do. So he began to build um, build the tabernacle. Began to build the temple. Okay, all right. So he began to build the temple. And um, verse, verse 7, right? First Kings chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone, made ready before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron head in the house while it was in building. Okay? 
So what this means is that when they're building the the the, um, the temple, the, the temple of, of God, right? When Solomon was building it, what they did was they carved out the stone outside the city before they came to the construction site. So when the when the stone came to the construction site, the stone was already shaped in a particular mold to fit the building. Okay, and and they did this for 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 one major reason that they didn't want any hammer in the building and all of that. My emphasis is the fact that the stone had to be made ready before it was brought into the building. And what I, what this means for us um, today as believers is that before God, before we play significant role in God's kingdom, right? Before we play significant roles in God's um, agenda, in our dispensation, in our generation, what happens is that God shapes our lives. God, God chisels out the excesses in our lives. God takes out the parts that that isn't, um, he doesn't want, he chisels them out and, and takes them away so that we can have the particular shape that fits for the building he's, built, he's creating in this, our day and time, okay? And the truth is, and I'll be honest with you guys, the process of shaping isn't pleasant at all. Just think about a, um, think about a stone and then a, a, a bricklayer is, is hitting out all the edges, he's chiseling them out, he's breaking off excesses. It will look very painful, especially because I mean, think of the, the uh, think of a block, for instance, and the bricklayer cuts off a part. The block will feel like, oh, this part has been a, has been a an essential part of me for a long time. Now you're taking it away. Oh, I've known this part of my life for a long time, and now you're you're, you're taking it off. Um, um, if it is similar to a man saying, so just imagine my example. Back to my example now. I love playing football Saturday morning, and I've done this maybe for five years. And then God comes and says, that Saturday morning you used to play football. I want you to use it to go and evangelize, for instance. And then it feels like God is taking a part of me away because I am so used to playing, playing um, football on Saturday mornings. And then God now comes and takes away that Saturday morning football. And it feels painful. But what God is actually doing is he's shaping my life so that I can be effective in the building, so I can fit into the role that he's, he wants me to fit in in the building that he's creating in this day and age. So let me encourage us that if at any point in time you see God placing a demand on, on, his, on a particular part of your life, um, whether you should start something or stop something or whatever the demand will be, it is because God wants your life to take the shape that would allow him to use you in the building he's erecting in this, um, in this generation. Okay? Uh, so so I, I hope that's clear. I want to move on to another thing, to another... So having said that, let's move on to something else in the same line that, that buttresses this point very well. Now, if you read the book of Genesis, right, um, the story of... of uh, what's his name now? The story of Jacob. If you go to Genesis chapter 28, I mean, it's a long read, so we wouldn't go into it right now. But verse 11 through to 22, that's, that's right about the end of the scripture. You see the story where Jacob encountered God. So he was going on his journey... He got to a place and he, he slept off. He just put stone and slept off. And he had a dream of angels ascending and descending. And the place, um, he woke up and called the place Bethel because he said, the Lord was here and I, and I didn't know it. So what I want to point out here is the, is the word Bethel. Jacob called the place, the name of that place, Bethel. Now, Bethel in Hebrew means um, the house of God. Bethel, El means God. Beth is house. So the house of God, right? In, in Hebrew, that's what it means. Um, now, I want us to compare and contrast with another city. And later on, that became a city and all of that, right? Now, 
Fast forward to the book of Joshua. If you read Joshua chapter Joshua chapter 8, right? Read the whole of chapter 8. It contains the story of Joshua and the Israelites when they went when they went to attack um, attack the people of AI. Um, well, actually, the spelling is A and I, so I just call it AI. I don't know if that's the exact pronunciation, but yeah. So they went to attack the people of AI, and then the story has it that they succeeded and all of that. Now, what I want to point out is that the, the name AI actually means a heap of, of blocks, a heap of stones. So we have two cities. Number one is Bethel, the house of God. Number two is AI, the, a heap of blocks. Now, what is the difference between a what is the difference between a house and a heap of stones? Um, fundamentally, yeah, they are made up of the same material. Basically, they are made up of the same the same stones. But what differentiates a house from just a a heap of stones is that the the stones in a house are placed in an orderly manner, and then the stones are shaped to to fit a particular uh, model so that they can be used in a building. Okay, do you get that? So the difference between a heap of stones, a heap of stones basically just the stone is unrefined. Nothing, didn't do anything to it, no process, no um, no, no alignment, no shaping, no nothing, just placed on top of each other randomly. That is a heap. But when you come, when you come to building a house, there's an there's intention involved in it. So the builder shapes the stones to take a to take a particular form. And then the builder meticulously places one stone on top of the other in a, at a particular angle, in a particular manner, so that it forms a house. Now, what, what does this mean for us as Christians? It means that there are two ways, there are two, broadly speaking, now there are two models that, Christ, that a Christian could adopt. I could decide to, to, to say, God, see, all these your demands, they are too much for me. How will you be asking me to fast every week? How will you ask me to be praying every night? Why will I believe my God that I like? I'm not interested. I'm actually I'm a Christian. That's what matters. And quite all right, you're a Christian. That's fine. But if you if you take that model, God cannot use you to do to build what He's building in these last days. He cannot use you to to fit into the structure that He's creating in these last days. If you are going to be an instrument in God's hands, then God will have to to shape you into a particular mold. God will have to shape your life, shape your activities, shape your character, shape your desires shape every part of you to, to, to fit a particular mode so that you can be beneficial in the building that he is, um, he is erecting, all right? Um, and it's important to know this, that God doesn't use random stones. God used stones that he has chiseled himself, stones that he has shaped, stones that he has, um, he has, he has, he has carved out to fit a particular mode before he uses it for the building that he, he is erecting, all right? So the question to, for us today is, are, are, you, are, are you a heap of stone or are you a, the house of God? Are you Bethel or are you, are you AI? All right. And um, I hope this illustration really helps us understand what I'm, I'm talking about. And you know what? <clears throat> this, this brings us, again, still in the line of sanctification, right? This brings us back to what we spoke about earlier, that sanctification means, means se being separate unto God for God's use. And what that entails is that as a believer, I have decided that certain actions I will no longer keep to them, even though those actions in themselves are not anything, they're not bad. So for instance, playing football, is, there's nothing bad in playing football. <coughs> Sorry, pardon me, please. Let me just think for one minute. 
Yeah, so even though playing football, there's absolutely nothing bad in doing that. Um, it could even be someone's profession, right? But God could place a demand. And like I said, um, was it last week or upper week? This, these demands are usually unique to individuals. Of course, there's the general general demand that every, every believer would have to bear. But then there is the... Um, there are also the unique customized demands that God will place on your life. So, for instance, Doris, God might tell you, oh, um, for the next one month, stay off social media, just for instance, right? But for me, that may not be the same instruction. For me, my instruction may be that for the next one month, I, God wants me to be praying every 1 a.m. That may be the demand for me. For someone else, it may be that, oh, don't go and see, don't spend time with these kind of friends again. The demands are vast. But the important thing is that if we're going to be sanctified to God, then God will have to chisel certain aspects of our lives so that we can be exclusive for his use and we can fit into the building that he is erecting in His in this day and time. Okay, so I believe we, we are clear on that. We're going to end um, very soon. So I just, ah, my time is never enough. So we're just going to go quickly so that we can have time for questions and, and answers. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll end on this note. And I think it's helpful for us to read Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 29. Um, um, Cecil, please read for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 29. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 29. You can read for us if you are there, Cecil. Can you hear me, Hello. Oh, your voice was very low. Um, can Romans chapter eight? Yep. Can you hear? Okay. Um, verse twenty-eight. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For God knew His people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Amen. Wow. This thanks so much, Cecil. This is such a powerful verse. And every time I read it, it just there's just so much to learn every single time I read it. Um, so Paul was giving us context, right? And I know we've quoted this a lot that all things work together for the good of those who love God and, and who are called according to his purpose. What this means now in the context of our conversation is that all the chiseling that God is doing in your life, all the things, all the demands that God is placing, that God is saying, hey, I don't want you to do this anymore. I don't want you to go to this place anymore. Instead, I want you to start doing this and start doing that, even though it seems difficult. All of that, the Bible tells us that it is actually working together for our good. It says to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So there's a purpose that God has called us unto. There's a purpose that God has for us as believers. There's a purpose that God wants us to, to manifest here on earth. And for us to do that, he has to chisel us in that. I mean, I keep using the word chisel, and I hope you understand what I mean. Um, he has to shape us in a particular manner so that we take a we take a form that allows his purpose to be fulfilled in our lives. Then verse 28 now, verse 29 now tells us something very important. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also predestinated. Pre, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, NLT, 
like C.C. Red to say, say that um, so that we could be like his son. Meaning all that God, all that God is doing, all the demands that God is placing on our lives, the demands on our character, the demands on how we speak. For some people is that they talk too much and God is saying, I need you to be more quiet, to be more listening. For some people, they, they, they allow their thoughts to, to go wide. And then God is saying, no, you must subject your thoughts to the authority of Christ. For some people, it could be different things. They're just like going out and God is saying, I want you to stay still. You know, whatever it is, all that God is doing is for one purpose, so that we, we, we will be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's important to know this, that whenever it feels difficult, whatever God asks us to do feels difficult, we should remember that God's essence, God's aim is not to punish us. Rather, God's aim is to shape us until we look like Christ. God's aim is to shape us until we conform to the image of Christ. And it is so important that, um, that we do this, that we are shaped onto the image of Christ. And that's why, why God, God is doing all the God, God goes through all the lengthy process so that our character becomes like Christ, so that our thoughts becomes like Christ. Our actions would be, there'll be no difference between what Jesus would do and what we would do because we've gone through that process of shaping. And it's important again to say that it's a process. It's not something that happens in one day. And if you read, if you read the, the story of, of Abraham, read the story of Joseph, you see that God actually took them through a process that, for instance, Joseph started off, um, I mean, we all, we all, Joseph is an amazing character in, the, in scriptures, right? But if you look at the, his early days, you see a lot of, um, um, a lot of teenage, teenage, um, what they call it, teenage ignorance coupled with um, a bit of um, rudeness in it. So Joseph comes and he has a dream. First of all, first of all, right, he's the most loved among his brethren and he's the youngest and he has elder brothers and his father buys him a coat of many colors and this guy doesn't just wear the coats for special occasions. He wears it almost every time and um, he flaunts it. And so this arouses jealousy. At least he's aware that they are jealous. Next thing, he has a dream that, that says all, all his brothers bow down to him. And then he has the boldness to go and share the dream with his brother. I mean, so that's, that's, that's some, some form of, you know, well, I wouldn't say foolishness, but it's not very wise. It's not a wise thing that he, he could have done. But anyway, he shared it with his brother, and then they got more angry with him. But he didn't even mind. He now had a second dream and still shared it with his brothers again and with his family. And in fact, the father had to ask her to shut him up and say, shut up, do you, do you mean all of us will now bow down to you? So he was a bit rude and a bit proud, right? And there were those traces, I mean, he, for anything of that, he was still a very young man. But so the story goes on, he gets sailed, goes to Egypt, so many things happened. He goes through several processes that built his character, that he learns more about God. I mean, he goes through a disappointment from someone that he helped, someone that he interpreted dreams in the prison, and the person got free. And then the person forgot about him until some years later and before he was remembered. So that whole process was, was, was um, forming his character, including when he was lied to and sent to prison and the whole story. You know, and then at the end, there's something Joseph now said. When he finally met his brothers, he said to them that, don't be afraid. I'm not going to do any harm. That you sold me, right? And you meant it for evil. But God actually sent me ahead of you to preserve lives. And that is so important. It is a revelation of maturity. When you are able to see things from God's perspective, even when they are not pleasant, right? And Joseph was able to say, all you people did, I'm not even offended anymore. Now I know, I've, I've become more mature. That, And I know now that 
you actually that God actually sent you guys uh, sent me ahead of you guys so that I could preserve lives. Even though the the way he sent me looks like you guys hated me and wanted to kill me, you know, and and Joseph had that that deep understanding. My point is that when God takes us through a process, right, it might not be very might not be pleasant, and usually it doesn't feel funny to our flesh. But when we go through the process, right, we begin to think like Christ. We begin to see things from Christ's perspective, and we begin to and that is what real maturity is: discerning situations and uh, approaching situations from the mindset of Christ. So like Paul said here, God's intention is that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it's important we know this, that we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's why God is doing all that he's doing um, in our lives. All right. So we're going to stop here for today. Um, I believe we've learned one or two things. I mean, even if it's just one thing, I believe we've taken something. The, the whole summary of this is that God wants us to be sanctified. Um, God wants us to be separate unto him. And many times he places a demand on us that, would re- that wouldn't be pleasant most, um, for the most part of it. And um, the reason is so that we can be conformed to his image. Okay, so yep, let me leave it up for us. Questions? Doris, I know you said you want to ask a question. Um, please, you can go ahead if you, if you still want to. Uh, anyone that has any questions, please go ahead. Or not just question, you have a contribution or you you maybe had a, have an experience that's, you know, um, is in line with what we had, what we discussed today. Please go ahead. We are listening to you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, thank God for today. Um, I think like what you've said has been honestly truthful and it just resonates uh, but the question, I don't know if it's a question per se, but it's something like I feel I struggle with because you 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 talked about sacrifice. And I think that's something that God always just, it's just in my ear, just sacrifice, always sort of like give up for me. And for a while, I, I didn't even understand it because you would find a lot of pastors or I, I don't even go to pastors, but when whenever I listen to like, preachings or stuff they always make it seem like you don't have to sacrifice like you don't have to put in that work towards um you know getting this beautiful relationship with god i don't know why people are so afraid of the work like when you start talking about work they feel like you're talking about righteousness in the law blah 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 but you said yourself like we need to actually sacrifice demands like as you said their demands that god has placed on us now the problem for me is just being obedient like the way jesus was that obedience that humility to bow down and say okay god has said like you were saying something about football i don't know if you you meant yourself or something no, 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 no. I, for me, don't, I don't even like football at all uh, okay well That's for me there are certain things i sort of like told me to to let go of and i know i know even without me even knowing all the scriptures i guess mm. the holy spirit always makes me know what everything that god is doing and it's not even that like <laughs> anything that you're doing i personally i'm doing away from god ends up sort of like you know in bad like it's it's just i end up being miserable it, it doesn't give me pure joy and satisfaction mm. but yet i still go those things which is super weird but i'm I, I want to be very honest um so yeah it's about doing you know 
actualizing the sacrifice and not just saying I, I can sacrifice and not just hearing from God, but actually humbling myself to doing this thing. So when you talk about um when like that was why I was confused when when Paul was talking about concerning my righteousness in the law. I know our righteousness is in Christ Jesus, but for me, like if I wake up in the morning and I pray by five, I'll be very happy with myself because it's not something I do normally. So yeah. if I do it, I would very I'll I'll be happy. I'll say, Ah, Doris, you did well today. Oh, uh-uh. So I woke up five a.m. Wow, that's amazing. Do you get? So my question really is, how as people who are like, okay, I'll say me oh, that I'm very deep inside flesh somehow, somehow. How mm-hmm. do I sort of get this boldness and strength to follow the things of God? It, and I don't mean saying i mean in that particular moment i wish you could understand like there are certain moments where the desire to just follow your flesh is so much more is as if you don't have the holy spirit it just consumes you and you just feel like i beg what's the point i mean even sometimes you might even think um i beg i beg god is gracious god i know it's evil but Mm -hmm. frankly speaking that's i think like that so how do i just you know sort of stand for god and defend his honor in those moments of weakness? That's my question. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture and I'll try and make this passage as practical as possible. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Um, I'll just read it. Paul, this was Paul speaking. He says, but by the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is in me. So Paul was saying that if you look at me now and you admire anything in my life, for, to be honest, it's the grace of God. He now says, however, the fact that I was God's grace doesn't mean I didn't labor. He says, but I labored more than them all, right? Um, but he now says, yet it was not I. Even in the labor, it was not I that was labor. It was the grace of God. <clears throat> Meaning there is only one solution to all of our insufficiencies. And that is the grace of God. And the grace of God, so I know most times when people hear grace, they're only restricted to the understanding of grace in, with respect to salvation and what grace has done for us um, in procuring our salvation and, and all of that. Um, that is one aspect. But grace has, um, if you hear the first the first class we had, I, I said, first study we had, I said, grace has manifold um, expressions, right? Um, and in this case, grace refers to divine ability to perform a task. And I said in one of our t- um, studies that God does not expect us to keep his demands by our ability. And that's why that's where grace comes in. And also, just to be clear, let me state that, for instance, if this is God's standard, right? When grace comes, grace doesn't lower the standard of God. No. Rather, let's say this is God's standard and then my hand below here is our own ability. God's standard is so high here that ability, we try, we try, we try, we cannot reach, on ability, we cannot reach God's standard. So what what grace does is, it does not reduce God's standards to our ability. No. Rather, God God's grace elevates our ability to God's standard so that we're now on par with God's standard. So practically, what this means is, if, for instance, God tells me to, like, okay, like you said, now God instructs me to pray 5 a.m. every day, but I like my sleep. I like sleep. I love, by 5 a.m. I'm asleep. So let's say I, on a normal day, I wake up by 6.30. 
But then God has taught me to pray 5 a.m. every day. What, what now happens is that based on that instruction and that direction, right, um, it might not, when I say instruction, I'm not necessarily saying you heard the voice of God audibly. I'm saying God placed it in your heart. That's enough. Once it is placed in your heart, I can assure you the grace for it has already been released. So because of that grace, I'm able to wake up in the morning. So now the practical thing is what if I don't wake up at 5 a.m.? And this is where fellowship with God really comes in handy. You can never separate the supply of grace from your fellowship with God. And the truth is you don't prepare for temptation in the face of temptation. You prepare for temptation way before it ever comes. And most times temptation doesn't give you um, notice that I'm coming away. I'm going to tempt you on Monday by 6 p.m. I'll tempt you. No, temptation doesn't do that. Um, It comes unannounced. However, when we stay in the place of fellowship, we draw grace from God. And based on the grace we draw, we now have the ability to carry the action. So grace is received through fellowship with Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 16, that we should come, it says, come to the world, to the throne of grace, so that we might obtain grace and find, no, we might find grace and obtain mercy um, to help us in the time of need. So there's a throne of grace. And whenever we approach it, that's the place of fellowship. We find grace. There's grace to help us in the place of prayer. There's grace to help us in our Bible study. There's grace to resist temptation. There's grace to be diligent in our work, whatever we're doing. Grace is supplied in the place of prayer and the place of fellowship. All right. So like my, my, my answer to you is this. You do the you you execute the demands of God by the supply of his grace. You contact grace by fellowship. And to be honest, there's nobody that can meet up with God's demands if grace is not supplied at all. There are certain demands that I don't know if I should say no. If I say now, you, you think I'm very spiritual, so I'm not saying it. But there are certain demands that God has placed in my life, and I've been doing this for years. As far back as four years now, as I can remember, I've been keeping to it. And I'm not doing it because I am spiritual. No, I'm just doing it because grace has been supplied. And let me tell you, whenever, whenever I feel like I don't want, I don't feel like praying, I honestly tell God, I say, God, right now, I don't feel like praying, but I know that I need to pray. So I receive grace to pray. And then I do the actions. So let me chip in also that there are many times where you have to ignore, if at always, you must ignore your feelings and take action so that the grace of God kicks in. All right? Um, I hope that, so we have, we have like three minutes left. But Doris, I hope that helps you. Did it help you? Doris? Um, can you hear me, Doris? Okay, absolutely. Okay, I see that. I see. All right. Um, any questions? Cecil, do you want to say something before we go? Um, <clears throat> Oh, your voice is low. Okay, I can hear you faintly. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't have any. Okay. I mean, not doesn't have to be a question. Okay. Tell me, what did you learn from today's conversation? Oh, okay. I, I'll contribute then. I'll contribute. Um, can you hear me, Yeah, faintly though, but we can we can do with that. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Um. Concerning the question, feeling inadequate, not being able to. Oh, I really can't um, hear you. Your voice is low. Um, concerning the question, the question. Okay, yeah, yeah. Not being able to meet God's standards. Um, um, I know we spoke earlier when we when we were connected. 
and yeah. uh, my query about um, Bible fellowship I was mm-hmm. doing the, this period. Um, so we would always gather and, um, and then we would talk about specific scriptures. We would read and then we would contribute. And everyone would contribute from the scripture and I would, I would always like, ask questions. I would say, and I'll compare it to like now and the struggle of the youth in the world. And I'll say, okay, yes, people could be back then, but what about like now and the circumstances that we're facing in the world and how the pressure, peer pressure and all of this, how do we, how do, how do I cope, basically? I'll just ask it for myself. I'll be like, I'm boyfriend for myself. And what I realized was the solution I kept getting, the answer I kept getting was the Holy Spirit. And the funny thing is that if I go all the way back to the um, SFS and the Christian, and he was Holy Spirit, but it was like, I didn't really understand this. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, yeah, I can. I'm, I'm following faint though, but... Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I, I don't know why it's quite low. Um, anyway, anyway the, the answer I kept getting, and I hope this helps, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Most of the time, I, I feel inadequate, so like I cannot get up to pray at this time. We used to do this and what we wake up and pray. It was really, it was really, um, what do you call it? It was, it was close. We wake up and pray one together. And I didn't like, I, I didn't like getting up very early to pray. I'm, I'm just saying this now, like I didn't like to get up. Like I, my body didn't like to get up to pray in the morning. And I just say, whenever I'm contributing, I'll say like, I'm like, I always kind of like, like I don't, I don't really want to be here praying right now, but then I always ask the Holy Spirit for help. That's what I do all the time. I say, Holy Spirit, please help me, please help me, please help me. And I believe that every time I ask him for help, he helps because I have accepted him into my heart. And that's, I feel like that's the only way you can actually get anything done, asking the Holy Spirit for help. Because Jesus, when he was leaving, he left the Holy Spirit to help us. So whenever awesome. we feel short and we feel like we can't get anything done, Holy Spirit is our go-to solution, our solution for everything. That's my contribution. Okay, 